Right to be Right podcast, episode number six. Interview with best-selling author Johnny B. Trant. You are listening to the Right to Be Read podcast, and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Right to Be Read podcast. Today, I have yet another interview. Today, I'm interviewing Johnny B. Trant. Johnny Bitrand is one of the hosts of the popular self-publishing podcast and an author of the best-selling self-publishing guide, Write, Publish, Repeat. Johnny published over 1.5 million words worth of books in 2013. Then he wrote a book live in front of an audience in June 2014 to show his audience how. You can see that whole process at fictionunboxed.com. Okay, so here we go. So, um, what I wanted to know is, uh, did you dream to become a writer uh, from the young age or did you uh, become a writer accidentally? How did it happen, uh, actually? How did you become a writer? I always wanted to be a writer, starting at, um, as far back as I can remember anyway, so when I was real little. And um, at the time, there wasn't a real practical way to do it, especially if you were going to try and write fiction, if you're going to try and write books. Because it was in the days of, you know, you finished a book, you sent it off to an agent, you waited, they rejected you, you went through the whole thing. And even if you got one, even if you got a deal, then you'd have to wait and do another. And so basically, unless your name was Stephen King or James Patterson, it was kind of impossible and you'd always have to do something else. And uh, so I always wanted to do it. And it was just with the advent of Kindle and self-publishing that I was finally able to really make it work. Okay, so you self-published your um, your books, actually. All, all of your books are self-published right now, or uh, yes. you started with self-publishing? No, they're all, they're all self-published. They're all self-published. Okay, and uh, what happens uh, with the people who, who are not Stephen Kings and uh, don't yet live uh, on the income from books? Uh, what do they do? What did you do before you started writing your books and you became popular? I took sort of a side round approach on this. So I wanted to make a living with writing, but I couldn't write what I really wanted to write. So instead I said, well, what can I write that I do want to write? And that took a couple of forms. I did some freelance, uh, boring copy sorts of things like writing for magazines. Um, But then what I started doing really on the internet once I was beyond that a little bit was writing a blog which uh, attracted an audience. And then I uh, was doing things like setting up blogs, like setting up services, doing tech services. Mm -hmm. And even though my blog had nothing at all to do with what I was doing in terms of tech services, uh, people people liked me, like it helped to, to, to draw a crowd and get people to like me so that when there was a service like that that I could set up that wasn't um, I mean, that's, it's not a complicated service, setting up yeah. a blog. And so people could either go with anybody, could just do a Google search, or they could go with the guy that they knew. And so I started in that way. And then when I started to have some success there, people asked me, well, about the business stuff. Like, how did you form that business? Um, business, you know, mentality, procedures, best practices. And so I started to talk a little bit about that and got into um, – commoditizing some of that in terms of courses and but I was always finding a way to use my writing to draw people to me even when I couldn't sell it directly writing what I wanted to write and it just took a while to come around to where I could finally do it the way I wanted to do it 
Okay, so you you actually had the audience already by the time you had your books published on on Amazon, apparently. I mean, you, you, I assume well, that some some part of the people who I who didn't, connected. I didn't. Yeah, I mean, it it helped because we have a lot of people just want to publish a book, and so they write a book and they publish a book, and it's very it's very isolated and insular. You. Um, you have the world of the book, you promote the book, you talk about yourself as an author of the book, maybe you write a sequel to the book. And even what we do today is networked in a bunch of different ways. So some of our popularity is due to our self-publishing podcast, which isn't about, I mean, it is about writing, but it's not about our books. And so, and and what I was doing before translated probably better to the podcast than it did directly to the books. Um, when I announced that I was publishing my first book, before I was doing any of this other about writing stuff, mm -hmm. I announced it and people downloaded it because I made it free because at the time that was sort of the best strategy. I made it free for a few days. and But I think it's because it was free. I don't think it's because they thought, well, I'm interested in this guy. And so I, I think I got more than most people because I had a very personable blog and I think people were interested in me. Um, but I think that that route where you're going in one direction and then I had to say I had the crowd is sort of true, um, but it's also sort of not because it was a different crowd, if that makes any sense. Okay, so your blog wasn't about fiction writing or not your at all. books, it was completely different target. Correct. And uh, so some of those people might not even read fiction, actually. A lot of them, actually, but, but some people did, and, and that's nice. I still see some of those old names from my old blog pop up, and it's great. Okay, so if, if the blog and your main audience did not read the fiction, how did you acquire your readers, your fiction book readers, actually? How did it happen? Uh, a whole bunch of different ways. So um, initially, I um, the, the podcast helped. So the fact that we were doing a self-publishing podcast followed the same model as my old blog, which was we're not necessarily doing the thing that you guys might be interested in. We're not doing... The, the, the podcast isn't fiction stuff. It's not mm -hmm. the same people. But at the same time, it did increase our exposure to get people to know us. We used all of our own examples of books when we were talking about self-publishing, and mm -hmm. people got curious. And then on the heels of that, there was a book that we wrote last year called Write, Publish, Repeat. And in that, we used all of the same examples. And up front said, part of what we're doing with this book is to teach you all the things we know about publishing, but also it's part of our, it's an example of itself. We want you guys to check out our fiction too. So that was part of it. But part of it is that um, one of our main marketing strategies, and this is something we do outline and write, publish, repeat, is that every book should have an, a, a, a no friction entry point. It should have a, a funnel, a marketing funnel. And what that means is we start with, in marketing, you'd call it a loss leader, which means that our first product, our first book in a series, our first episode, if it's a serial, is free. And so that attracts a bunch of people just in and of itself. People look for science fiction. You know, they're like, oh, well, there's this book, The Beam, which has good reviews, episode one, but it, and it's free. And so they check it out, and then a certain number of those people will end up upgrading and saying, I want to see what happens next. I want to buy the next one. I want to buy the full season. And so that funnel approach has worked well for us too. Okay, so you intentionally write series uh, to hook up people with the first uh, book and then they buy the other ones uh, in the sequels. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes, we also write stuff that isn't um, 
everything up to until now has been a series or a serial. And um, starting the, we're, next month, we're going to write the first book that is indeed just a book. And so it's not that we're opposed to writing things that are isolated and that don't have a follow-up. But up until now, I mean, pretty much anyone who's a successful author, except for the anomalies, will tell you that series are they're addictive. You know, you think of any big book series, it's a series. Like, it's really seldom that there's just one book by itself that takes off. And so, so while we're not hoping for one book to take off, the nature of a series is that once you publish book six, people will buy books one through five. Yeah. And every time you add one, you're just, you're not only adding like, hey, that's exciting. There's a new book. You're also increasing your backlist sales. And so that's an accelerant for us. And I think that we wouldn't have felt comfortable to do an isolated novel back at the beginning because it is so low yield in and of itself. Okay, I see. And I have a feeling that now uh, readers expect to have series. For example, my first novel was an opponent novel, and I had planned it to, to be a standalone novel. But people mm -hmm. were asking for, uh, you know, what will happen next? When is book two coming? Although I, I never mentioned that I'm planning to have any series. So I have a feeling that uh, readers are already getting used to this model and accept it quite well. So they, they, they are okay with the thought that, you know, if they buy the first book, or even if they get it for free, they will be getting continuations. Uh, so this kind of uh, new model of, uh, of readership is, is, is quite positively accepted by readers, I have a feeling. I, I think that's part of it, but I think part of it is just human nature of wanting to know what happens next. So um, Stephen King has always written these in individual books that, that don't necessarily tie to anything else except that they do exist within the same town, you know, mm. Castle Rock. And... Um, Recently, a few books ago, he released, um, uh, I forget what the name of it was. Why can I not remember this? And, oh, Dr. Sleep. And that's a, that's a sequel to The Shining, which was meant as a standalone book. And he said that he wrote it because people just kept at, or I think he, it was himself. Like, he wanted to know what happened to Danny Torrance. And I think that that's the nature of a, of a, of a, a sequel, is that, I mean, yes, it can be done to exploit a property and say, oh, I can make more money on this, and Hollywood gets grief for that all the time. But I think a more natural reaction from a lot of people is like, I just want to know what happens next. We found that there's, there's two, uh, two of our series right now I can think of that were going to be individual books. And we got to the end and we said well, I want to know what's, what happens next. And so you wrote another. I see. And also maybe readers get emotionally attached to the characters as well. Sure. So they, they don't really want them to leave. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Most probably. Okay, and how do you keep uh, your relationship with uh, your readers? How do you build uh, their engagement and how do you keep them? For example, you have a first-time reader who, who buys your first book and or or gets it for free and how do you make them uh, either continue reading your other books or becoming your fans uh, do you interact with them in some way uh, where they can find you because uh, okay the self-publishing podcast is not about fiction it's not about right. your books and your characters where do you have do you have this space the hub where readers can interact with you about your books i think it's very important for every author to have a platform of some sort so, uh, in our case, Sean and I keep saying R. Um, I have a collaborator for most of the books, for anybody who doesn't know, Sean Platt. And our site is realmandsands.com. And that is our fiction site. And, and 
there's going to be an evolution of this in the next few weeks or so. But but for now, like that's our fiction site, and it's, it has nothing to do with about writing. It's not self publishing podcast, and I, I you know we list our books. We um, you know, have a, a free library of all the funnel starters in one place, like all the stuff you can get for free. And in the back of the books, where we encourage people to join that list to get, you know, eight free books is what we say. You want eight free books, join our list. And we send an email. I think we've fallen off the wagon a little bit because of the Fiction Unboxed project we're doing now. But it, it's that's supposed to be a weekly email that we send, uh, just keeping in touch, letting people know about anything that's new. Mm -hmm. um, all of our books in the back mention the list. They encourage people to contact us via Twitter or anything, you know, social media. And everything is called action-driven. Here's the next book. Here's the next. If you're at the end of a series, here's another series you might like to try. And so there's going to be a lot, a lot of people who will never, ever contact you in any way, shape, or form. And that's fine. But we're doing what we can to engage the people who are willing to engage. Okay, and uh, do you, I, I mean, they, they get the weekly letters from you, emails, and they, when they contact you directly on Twitter or something, uh, do, do you get in touch with them? Do you get back to them if they have some questions? Or, I mean, uh, how do you see this? Because uh, the newsletters, uh, they are, uh, of course, personalized, but sometimes uh, some readers especially uh, really appreciate and like some uh, individual approach. Do you have the time to contact them directly or do you have this experience or, or uh, they just have to get away with, uh, with the newsletters? Well, that, that's a double-edged sword because we, we answer every email, we answer every tweet, unless it's something like that doesn't require an answer. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's something where, they're, they're, where it would be polite, if you sent me an email, if it would be polite for me to reply to that, that's the same rule goes for anything where anybody contacts us. Uh, and then the... the the flip side of that is that it, your email can become overwhelming. So we do try to keep responses brief. We, we try to be very polite and engaging. But um, I don't know what's going to happen if it becomes like too much. But for now, we always and, – and, and we've built some great relationships that way too. Like it, it does pay off. We have – you know, the theory of a thousand true fans. Like, I feel like we've built some true fans mm -hmm. because somebody will ask a question and we'll, like, both of us or all three of us in the case of the self-publishing podcast will reply. And people are like, wow, I didn't expect, like, all of you guys replied. I didn't even mm -hmm. think you would reply. And that simple courtesy, it's amazing how many people don't have it. And so when we do reply and contact people, like, it's, it's really worth it. it. First of all, it's nice and it's human. And second of all, it pays off in terms of uh, equity with a reader. Why I asked is because uh, the more popular people get, uh, the more popular the idea of having a virtual assistant is. So mm -hmm. uh, very often you end up receiving an email from the virtual assistant. Of course, they don't say that. Uh, they say that they are the virtual assistants, but, uh, but somehow it... Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't know how uh, if it's really the best approach to to connect your true fans with your virtual. I, I understand why they are doing it, yeah. uh, but uh, at some point, I, I think that the emotional connection and the real relationship um, suffers a bit because of that. It's so. kind of a tricky thing because um, I, I don't know if you've ever emailed Hugh Howie, but Hugh has a very comprehensive autoresponse that he recently added. 
And it basically covers all the bases, and it's, it's apologetic. It's like, I'm so sorry. I don't want you to get this auto response. But, I mean, Hugh's a big deal, and he gets a lot of email. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who gets, I don't get Hugh Howie email by any stretch, but I get a lot of email, and it, it it's, you start to like, oh, man, I want to be doing other stuff. If it's not writing, I want to be spending time with my family because I've been bunkered in this room sure. for so many hours. And so you don't. You want to encourage communication. You don't want people to feel like they're getting a brush up by a virtual assistant. You don't want them to go unanswered. You don't want it just to just be an autoresponder. But at the same time, like you don't want to spend eight hours a day in email. So I think that what I think that what we might end up doing at some point is, um, if if it's things that can be handled transactionally, like uh, you know, hey, I. Um, this book showed up wrong or something, you know, something where somebody else could respond and it doesn't require a personal response. Mm-hmm. Maybe we could do that. Or maybe um, somebody could kind of start stuff and we could like vet it before sending it and, you know, make sure that the questions were answered. I mean, that things to speed it up without depersonalizing it, I would think would be a good intermediate before having to go the full, like, I have no choice but to cut off sort of a route. Mm. Or maybe, I don't know, it just came to my mind, maybe periodical uh, Q&A sessions or hangouts with, with mm-hmm. the readers who, who would like to get in touch. Then they know that, for example, once a month they have this opportunity and they connect with you and, uh, and uh, if they want some kind of conversation, you have this limited time which you can dedicate to, to the readers and then they don't overwhelm you with emails already because they know that they will be meeting you soon. And, and I think that too, if you um, if you are communicative regularly with uh, with your readers on a broadcast basis, so if you're sending a regular email, um, you can sort of indicate that you you can set the tone that says basically like I'm, I want to spend maximal time writing because that's what readers want from you. They readers don't. I mean, a sensible reader doesn't want you to spend a ton of time talking to them on email. They want more books. And so if you kind of make that known, I mean, whatever it is, we seem to have accidentally stumbled into a lot of that awareness because a lot of the emails that we get, uh, if they actually want something, like they, they want an explanation of something, they, they require something, they're almost apologetic, like, well, I know you guys are really busy, but mm-hmm. I just need this answer. And so that, that helps, I think. Yeah. And I would like to go back. You mentioned the Fiction Unboxed. Yes. Uh, I really liked the model because it, it kind of makes the whole process transparent and I think it's, it's very original because I've, I've never met any kind of uh, thing like that before. Uh, so could you please explain what it is and how you came up with the idea and how is it going? Uh, just a bit about the project because it's it's really exciting one. Yeah, thanks. It's um, Fiction Unboxed. It's at fictionunboxed.com. And a lot of it's open, so people can just look at it. Um, but it's uh, we, we, we wrote a book, as I mentioned, called Write, Publish, Repeat last year um, in December 2013. And people said that that was great. They said, oh, this tells me everything I need to know. But the only problem I have is, but how? Like, okay, so I need to write a lot of stuff that's good, but how? It's the, it's the age-old writing question. And so... We thought about writing a process book and explaining, well, this is what we do, this is our draft, this is what we do to create a book. And instead, we thought, well, why don't we just show people? And so Fiction Unboxed is a live writing experiment. We sort of think of it like performance art. Mm-hmm. And so we're writing a book in 30 days, and we're, we did it from nothing. Like, we had literally no idea what we were writing on day one, and um, people 
uh, got in the process and we brainstormed and we put ideas out for a vote. And about five days in, we started writing, and I'm, I'm in the middle of it now, almost at the halfway point. And each day when I write my new words, I, I, put, it, I put the words up, rough draft. And then mm-hmm. later in, you know, Sean goes through and polishes them, and we're recording all of our story meetings. Just it, it's, it's like sitting in the office with us, seeing a book as it's being born, and on day 30, we'll send out the completed file that's been through a professional editor and had a professional cover and um, I just love it because you know at any point anybody who's in this could go back two years from now look through it and be like oh well so that's how they did this one particular thing and um, it's amazing it's it's high pressure it's um, it's a lot of work but I but it's amazing it's, it's amazing to see something that didn't exist and now I'm halfway through it and I just love 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 this story and it's flowing so great. And I think it's very inspiring at the same time because many people might be overwhelmed with the idea of writing a book and might think that it's really complicated and mm-hmm. uh, might be scared to even start because they have different writers' doubts and struggles and they're not self-confident, etc. So there are many, many different thoughts coming into their mind and uh, at the end they get stuck and they don't start. So when they have a live example and see that, you know, actually if you make the first step it leads you to the second one and the process begins uh, it, I think it's it's the best illustration to prove them that you know they sh- they should just make the first uh, step uh, which leads me to another question um, did you ever had any writers doubts or any struggles what were they uh, there and how did you overcome those uh, I've I imagine a lot of this comes down to practice um, I was blissfully unaware that I was bad at the beginning when I was a kid. Um, some of the initial stuff, I'm sure, was just really, really terrible. But my son will self-edit, and he's tried to write something, and he doesn't get anywhere because he wants it to be perfect. And um, there's a great little clip on YouTube. It's like two minutes long from James Lipton. And um, he talks about how writers have the awareness of like what's good. Any artist has the awareness of what's good and the fact that they're not there yet. And so there's this gap. And oh, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't have a lot of that. Like, I, I think that by the time I got to the point where I was writing a little bit more proficiently, I had gotten better enough that the gap didn't bother me. Um, but I, so I didn't have that. But I, I think I've had the, the insecurities that, that we all have in terms of um, certainly making it a career. Uh, it makes my wife really nervous. It doesn't anymore, but it did for a while. Mm-hmm. And... Um, just the fact that, that you have an unstable income and that you're sort of defined by your next book. Um, I, I don't like, uh, it, like negative reviews get me like anybody else, a lot of them, but um, I, I, feel, I feel good in that I, they don't wound me a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And so I think I have the right temperament for this in that I'm able to see, okay, you know, 100 people liked it and two people didn't, so I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so just the confidence to, to and meeting other writers has really just helped with seeing that this is possible, that sort of thing. Okay, so it's, uh, I mean, many people have a much more serious doubts and problems in the beginning, so I guess you were lucky enough uh, to, to bypass those in your career. But I did see um, Sean and Dave, who are the, my co-hosts on the self-publishing podcast, meeting them did make, I mean, the, the reason... The podcast is the reason I have a fiction career now because without it, I wouldn't have, like, I didn't have a problem with my art. I had a problem starting, 
But when I finished something, I was okay with that. Like, I didn't know how to write a story at the beginning, but once I got it out, it wasn't a trouble to publish it. But seeing how those guys just chugged through and, and the fact that they were able to make a living writing a career and, and just understanding the way that they saw stories, well, this happens and then this happens, I think that helped a lot. And we've gotten a lot of response from listeners of the podcast who said that one degree removed that the podcast has helped them have that same realization. So I think that that does help. Okay, and uh, what I mean? Imagine someone who who dreamed to write all, since since very young age, and then life came uh, on the way, and and the full time job, and the family, and mm -hmm. different other responsibilities, and it never happened. He he always had this dream. Uh, he always wanted to start, but it never happened, and he he was never sure that he he could actually write something really good. And uh, at some point, he decides that no, now now he has to start. What what would be the advice that you would give this person, you know, where to start from, how to start. I mean, someone who, who doesn't know anything about self-publishing, anything about um, professional writing, etc., but he has the desire and feels that it, it's his calling, he has to do it. What he should the, do. Yeah, the, uh, I would answer that in two ways. The self-publishing question is one, and the writing is a separate question. For me, the writing is the most, the most important thing is consistency. Um, I had, we had somebody... Uh, Sean, Dave, and I had somebody ask us um, whether something was good the other day, and the answer was, "Well, don't worry about it being good. Like it's consistent. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're continually putting out new stuff, and you only worry about whether it's good once the entire story is out." And I think that a lot of people put the judgment of, "I don't know what I'm doing" at the beginning, and the most important thing is to sit down every day and continue to pump out new words. Mm -hmm. um, that's and that and practice is is for me the most important thing. And I'm gonna I'm gonna cop out a little bit on the self-publishing thing because um, I would just say listen to our podcast, you know, like um, that's where I would start. Just because uh, that's we I, inordinate hours, like I don't know how to bubble that down. But in a nutshell, um, you got to write good stuff. You got to actually publish it into the world and not back away and not say, well, this isn't good enough. And then you got to do it again. And that the, the authors who are successful, with very few exceptions, are the ones who continue to put out new stuff and new stuff and new stuff. It's, it's rare people who are like E.L. James, have one book at the time, Fifty Shades, mm -hmm. and it goes big. Like, that's, that's so rare. Even Hugh Howey is known for Wool. But even when Wool hit, Hugh had a bunch of other stuff. And it was just wool that hit and surprised him. He was like, why is this dumb little story? He didn't call it dumb. But why is this little story sell, uh, selling? Like, I don't expect anyone to like this. It's too dark. And it was a novella. I, like, it had everything going wrong in terms of, like, what is supposed to work. Yeah. I'm making air quotes. And it did. And he was smart enough to say, I'm going to write wool 2. I'm going to write wool 3. But it isn't like that was all he had. And it wasn't like he put everything on that one very first thing that he did like a lot of writers do. So you just have to keep producing, keep publishing, and just tough it out. You gotta have grit. Yeah, because you never know which one will become more popular. I mean, sometimes right. uh, I have three books, and uh, one of them I, I find that is is a better quality than the other two, but uh, that is the the least popular one, for example. So you never hmm. know what hmm. what readers might need. Uh, so maybe these days people need something lighter, for example. 
and mm -hmm. it, it doesn't really I mean the quality issue is also doubtful a bit because you, you, you don't really know maybe people really need something light to, to read on their way or, or they don't really want to think too much while reading a book so uh, once you have a variety of, of choice uh, then you, you will know better what they need most right Absolutely. Okay, uh, well, we're almost 30 minutes. I don't want to waste your time too much because I know that you you have a lot to write. So I, I will put all the links in the podcast notes for our listeners so they will get uh, a chance to, to see where to get the, your books, uh, how to get to your self-publishing podcast, uh, the Fiction Unboxed links. So we will have everything. And I guess that's it. Uh, anything else? Last words to our listeners, um, some encouraging uh, quotes or, or, or some things to inspire them more and so they can go and, and start writing something now. <laughs> uh, it, there's no substitute for hard work. That's, that's I believe, Thomas Edison. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing how people see self-publishing as a gold rush. And uh, no, it's a lot of hard work. But the good news for people like me anyway is um, I don't mind hearing that it's hard work because that means that it's possible. Like, I, I don't buy a quick gold rush sort of a mentality. So when I hear that, I'm like, okay, well, I can work. And so I think that if you do work, that it, it's definitely a, a real thing. And I think if, if you enjoy writing, it's not really a work. I mean, you, you enjoy yes, it as well. Yes, thank so. you for adding that. That's exactly right. Exactly. Okay, thanks Thanks a lot. Uh, thank you for agreeing to speak to me. Fantastic. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, that was it for today. I would like to apologize for the sound quality. Um, I'm sure you are curious about what funny sound you were hearing, especially by times when I was talking. Well, uh, it appeared so that this was the first episode I ever recorded and I made this huge stupid mistake of having my microphone Phone, getting in touch with my shirt and getting this annoying noise which uh, by no means I could take out from the recording so I hope it didn't distract too much and I hope you still enjoyed Johnny's interview uh, and uh, before I say goodbye uh, please don't forget I'm providing free resources for writers at www.annialexander.com free we're getting together and discussing different things about writing in the closed Facebook group of the podcast at www.facebook.com slash groups slash write to be read to written as a number and be written as a letter and please uh, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast because I have plenty of interesting things already pre-recorded and they will be coming up very soon and as a last thing I would like to thank absolutely everyone who left the rating and review of the podcast on iTunes. You're amazing. Thanks a lot for your support and encouragement. Okay, now go and write that book you have inside. We really need to read your story. Take care and have a nice day. Mm -hmm.